This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Welcome to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast, where we are cranking up the heat tonight from menopause to how to light a fire under someone to temperature taking and COVID. Are you worried about sending your kids back to school and running your business at the same time? We've got you covered. Did you know that we are still all affected by trauma at one time or another in life? The psychiatrist weighs in. We talk sex too. Put the kids to bed. The Sunday Night Health Show podcast starts now. She's an integrative physician, a TEDx speaker, co-founder at West Coast Women's Clinic, and author of The Mind-Body Cure. She is Dr. Belle Pawa, and she joins me on the line. Good evening, Dr. Pawa. Good evening, Maureen. Thank you so nice much. to be here. Oh, it's wonderful to have you. This is a very hot topic. I know you do a lot of work around menopause and perimenopause and, and, that t- and beyond, and that, th- those times of life for women, and, uh, but you've written an, an, a phenomenal book called The Mind-Body Cure. I just have a quick question as it relates to menopause or that time in a woman's life. Um, is it beneficial for a woman to, we all have stress in our lives and, and stressors, and, but is it beneficial to um, treat though, or learn to manage or to deal with or process all of the stress that is coming at women today? And, and does that have an impact on perimenopause and menopause and beyond? Absolutely, Maureen. Um, the stress hormones are cortisol and adrenaline. So when we're in fight or flight, we secrete a lot of those hormones. And that's fine for short-term stress. But if a woman is under long, chronic stress, excessive stress hormones, it impacts her estrogen and progesterone because we have a hormone symphony that works in the body. So one action has a reaction. So we've noticed that the clinic for the past 20 years, we thought we were just going to deal with estrogen and progesterone. But much to our surprise, we've learned how much of a big bully cortisol is And women who are stressed have a more dramatic uh, journey through menopause and perimenopause. They have mood disorders and anxiety and more hot flashes. And insomnia is a big one. So stress shows up big time for for women. Do we all have stress or do some manage stress better than others? How does that work? Well, stress, as you know, is pervasive. It's everywhere. Everyone has it, but we react differently to different things. So a little bit of stress is actually good. It helps us to stay safe. For example, with all this stress with COVID, a little bit of stress is good. We wear our mask, we, we distance, we listen. But when the stress becomes excessive and prolonged, that's when some people don't handle it. They don't have the resilience. And then their body starts to break down. They get symptoms. And I've been speaking to women who are, you know, suffering from mood disorders, they're becoming irritable, they're becoming in chronic insomnia, experiencing a lot of sleep disorders or headaches. So eventually stress has to manifest in the body if we don't take care of it. Becoming resilient and learning to cope with stress is one of the things that we do emphasize. Now, um, you you became perhaps resilient um, after dealing with chronic pain following a tragic car accident that you experienced. How, what did you learn from that, and how did you uh, transform that to help your patients? You know, Maureen, I, I feel that uh, it was a terrible phase in my life. The accident just Literally, I was hit by a truck, and I was superwoman, delivering babies, finished delivering a baby, and then was hit by a truck. But those seven years, 
of being in the medical system, I realized what was missing, and uh, I had to become my own best doctor. And as a physician, being a patient, I had to learn to navigate this system. And this system that we're living in is a wonderful system, but it's intervention-based. It's a you know pill for every ill. You're, you're in pain, here's a drug. You're depressed, here's a drug. You can't sleep, here's a drug. And what I had to discover was the body integration. The mind and body are so inextricably linked. And I had to learn about the vital autonomic nervous system. And once you learn to control your nervous system, you can actually create and repair and heal your body. And I think that's one of the big messages I want to get out there, and that's why I wrote the book, is I think it's so important for people who are listening to learn about their nervous system and take charge and reclaim their power when it comes to prevention and mental health. It's up to you. You know your mind the best. But we do need intervention. We still need doctors for the very severe symptoms, of course. You mentioned that um, the continuous and excessive release of stress hormones in our bodies are what's behind 75% of visits to a doctor's office. For, for women or is that women and men as well? That's for men and women, and that figure is actually conservative. So I used the lower range, but it went from 75 to 90%. Isn't that astonishing? It is. That it is, right? In our medical office, I was a GP for many years. And you think about things like heartburn, irritable bowel syndrome, um, headaches, and headaches, right? Yeah. yeah. And even low libido, you'll be, you'll be interested to know, even low libido is affected by chronic stress. Really? What a shocker. Yes. No. <laughs> so. um, now you have developed the Reframe Toolkit, and that's in your fabulous book, um, The Mind-Body Cure. And um, so tell me a little bit about the Reframe Toolkit kit though so people could help um, themselves and make specific changes to their diets or their ability to sleep or exercise habits and and other um, things that interfere with their with their lives you know diet exercise sleep they're all important but the most important thing is resetting your nervous system so that your mind is clear you make better choices about your diet and exercise so I made it very simple, reframe, I'll describe it briefly, and it's, of course, in a longer version in the book, but the R is for reset. Reset your nervous system through breath, mindfulness, and and a word, so the breathing is important. E is for exercise. Exercise is important for burning off your excessive cortisol and also for your immune system. Food and gut, your gut-brain connection. The R is for rest, get some downtime away from all the media and turning off your phone and unplugging so they can sleep and revive your immune system. A is for assessing your mental dialogue. It's really important to be aware of your thoughts because your thoughts change your biology. And M is for mindset. Uh, In the book, I talk a lot about your health mindset versus your illness mindset. So cultivate a mindset of resilience and learn how to respond to stress rather than react to stress. And E is, of course, examine. Go get an examination. If your symptoms are severe, you're having a lot of problems, you're not able to manage your symptoms at home, you still need intervention. So prevention and intervention go hand in hand. Prevention is what you can do at home, the choices you make, but sometimes we need to intervene when the symptoms are severe. 
It's, it's fantastic information, a great book. Your website, I know, is drbalpawa.com, D-R-B-A-L-P-A-W-A.com, and that's where people can order your book? Yes, they can go to the website, or you can just go to amazon.com and look at The Mind-Body Cure. And I, I'm so excited because I'm holding the only copy right now. Oh, well, can... and it will be, it'll be, it'll be on the shelves oh. uh, on September 5th at all the stores. Wonderful! Congratulations on that, Dr. Power, and thanks for joining me. Many of us are heading back to work in person having to put pants on. We're going back to school. We're sending our kids back to school. We're collecting CERB. We're starting up our businesses. We may not be working. Lots going on. And joining me on the line is a gentleman who is dealing or has dealt with all of these issues. His name is Marcus Monopoly, and uh, he was sent to me by his wife on Facebook. Good evening, Marcus. Hi, how's it going? Thank you for having me on. Well, thanks for joining me. So all lots of people are concerned about these issues, and you've pretty much dipped your toe in all of them. Uh, and let's let's just start with concerns about sending the kids back to school when you gotta. Yeah, I mean, uh, we, we, yeah, we, you're right. We, we've dipped our toe in everything uh, in terms of is it safe to bring our uh, to send our kids off to school? Uh, our business actually revolves around kids going to school because we have an after-school program. So we're kind of torn. Like We like school to be on so we can have our business going, but then, of course, the safety concerns of sending our kids off. You know, it, it's like, okay, um, <laughs> rock in the hard place, really. Absolutely. And you, you also have after-school programs for kids as well. And there's lots of parents who are, need to send their children back to school, and school is very important, and we need to do that safely. But that's also your business. That's right. I mean, we, we did our best to accommodate because we're reopening and there's the, the, the phases. So we, we're abiding by all mandates. We try and keep our bubbles, uh, our bubbles uh, low uh, in terms of we have you know, a limited amount of kids in our space. So we are running at about uh, a third of our capacity, half capacity with 100 percent of the expenses. So but that's to keep everyone safe and also have parents know that, you know, they can have confidence in us to keep their kids safe and that we make sure that. Uh, we're abiding by all guidelines, whereas I think school is a little bit more nebulous to parents. They're not quite sure what's happening when you're sending your kids out. They're talking about bubbles of 60. Now, if you're sending both kids and they're different grades, does that mean a bubble of 120? And then those 120 have parents with their work bubbles. So there's a lot of uh, what's going on, what's happening, a lot of uncertainty. And, and I, honestly, I can understand why a lot of parents are you know, nervous. Absolutely. Tell me about your business. It's a, it's a happy mess, correct? <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Well, we, we originally opened it as a sensory play area for kids. Uh, we, When I was living overseas, this sort of sensory play helped my daughter greatly. She is, she has anxiety and ADHD, and and, and we, it helped her sort of get her mind focused. And, and when we came back, when I moved back to Canada, this wasn't something that's readily available. You can get it through an, e, uh, like a, an OT, but we just wanted to do something, uh, do something where the kids can just come, like draw on the walls, paint on the walls, make a mess and just, you know, have a good time. And that kind of evolved into doing art classes and after school programs. And now we do art stuff uh, for adults and it's a fun mess for everyone now. Absolutely. And and it's also a fine balance. It's a, it's a fun mess, but it's a fine balance in terms of, you know, do you collect CERB? Do you open your business? Can you manage uh, opening your business? And that, that's the, conditions, uh, the condition under which a lot of people are reopening, where 100% of the expenses, um, you know, 30% of the uh, function, basically, of, of the capacity. And you've seen businesses around you close, basically. 
Yeah, I mean, for for us, when it came to when the pandemic first hit and we locked down, obviously when we locked down, we couldn't have kids running around in our facility, and we knew that we would have to shut down, and and so we started collecting CERB, and at that point, CERB was kind of restrictive. We weren't allowed to do anything else. We couldn't make any other income, so we basically said, well, our business, we, it's not safe for us to open our business, so we're going to lock down and then just take the serve and then see what happens business-wise. The government did promise a lot of help, and a lot of programs did come our way. Although, as a sole proprietorship with not the same wage, like I don't have the, the staff to have the wage subsidy, it was a while coming before the help reached us. And the CERB was very helpful, of course, to pay the bills and food on the table. And it was, it was, it was great, great help for us. And then they changed the language a little bit where we were allowed to make uh, some money and we were allowed to make some profit. And so it's like, okay, now we can make some money. So now we can at least go out and do our best to pivot in this situation, to, you know, art kits or dealing with like doing some one-on-one um, like pandemic lessons. Like our, we were able to divide our room and keep a safe distance with uh, bubble family. So we can do like splatter time or acrylic pouring. And so we were able to sort of, you know, get through that tough period by being able to at least pay our bills with that. We had a lot of help through the local art council here. The, uh, the Squamish United Church helped us as well. So we were very fortunate to get through this um, with, with the support and with the CERB. Um, but yes, there are some businesses around us that are closing down. There's an indoor play area called Squishies right across from us. And it's an indoor play area. And she just can't open. You can't have kids running around all the time, even with limited numbers and all that sort of stuff. So she she had to close her business. And yeah. I think she is done September 15th. And, I mean, she put her heart and soul in that place. She's a fantastic woman, Rachel. And it's, it's, it's sad that this has happened to her. And I think that that has happened to so many businesses. And we're, we're not hearing about those. We may be hearing about the restaurants and how they've reduced their capacity. Marcus, I really appreciate you joining the program and, and sharing your story. And honestly from the bottom of my heart, I wish you the best success in a pandemic. I, I really feel for everything you've gone through, and, and I really appreciate you sharing that with us. Well, thank you. Thank you. for And, and like I said, we, we have lots of strong community support. And for other businesses that are struggling, I mean, if you can help a small business by either buying a gift certificate and just going out and saying, hey, I support you, um, that goes a long way for, for small businesses in the area. That's great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that reminder. We'll talk again, Marcus. I want to keep up on how you're doing. Thank you. Sure. You're very welcome. We're talking about trauma. Trauma is the lasting emotional response that often results from living through a distressing event. And as I said, joining me on the line is the medical director of Elumine Center for Brain Excellence, and that is Dr. Karash Adelati. Good evening, Dr. Adelati. Hello, Maureen. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Good. good. I, Thanks for having me back. Well, I'm glad you can come back. And, you know, I, I want to mention that you're, I've, I've uh, referred a lot of people to the Elumind um, Brain uh, Center for Brain Excellence because I really support and believe in the how you deal with optimizing brain functions through the near the, the through various neurotherapeutic modalities and so you actually have a collection of holistic therapies that help to create that long lasting lifestyle change so people can live a, a happier healthier calmer um, better life and uh, and so you deal with nutrition and you deal with counseling and, and psychology and, and medication and cognitive behavioral therapy and so I really appreciate 
that, which is why I recommend people to LUMind.com quite a bit. Now, whether they go or not, <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> no one really listens to me. <laughs> Just ask my family. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, tonight we're talking about trauma. And one time you said to me, everybody experiences trauma. Uh, so tell me exactly what is trauma. So um, trauma is when uh, a person uh, basically has uh, not been able to deal with a situation Um, and their senses, their ability to understand an event is simply overwhelmed. And this is Uh, psychological trauma we're talking about, right? Or emotional trauma. Yeah. Um, well, most often, um, even with a physical trauma, such as a car accident, there's also psychological trauma involved. That's true. And, and the reason for that is that the person uh, doesn't have enough uh, in their resilience cup, if you want to call it that, uh, to understand what's happening around them. So, for example, if I um, burn my finger uh, on the stove, because I've had that past experience uh, and I know what to expect. You know, it's kind of, it hurts. It's a little bit uncomfortable. And um, it doesn't necessarily cause me trauma. However, if you, let's say, a two-year-old or a three-year-old burns um, his hand on the stove and they have never had that experience before, if they can't deal with that experience, that can play, uh, play out to be traumatic. Now, we oftentimes uh, associate trauma with war, uh, motor vehicle accidents, you know, being witness of a, a terrific scene, etc. Uh, but I mean, horrific scene, I should say. But uh, even um, the smallest event can be traumatic, depending on the person's resilience. And so, is everyone born with effectively a resilience cup? Uh, not so much. No, uh, and it is it is dependent on. Of course, the temperament of the person, um, so then the genes that they come with, as well as the environment they grew up in, um, and hopefully the environment can uh, fill up that cup for them. And so, how about that little kid who uh, burns his hand on the stove? Um, and so, it's a true accident. They're dedicated parents, you know, it's a supportive family, and um, versus the child who may whose whose mother might be drinking, uh, father might be absent, there's chaos in the house, and uh, and they're not loved and coddled and cared for afterward. Does that does how they somebody who loves them, who's meant to provide a secure environment, respond to something matter as to how resilient they will be or the lasting effects of trauma? Absolutely, um, it's uh, giving them a feel of uh, feeling of certainty. It gives them a feeling that hey, even though the environment was unsafe, there is someone to keep me safe, and um, I can still trust in this environment. Whereas with a kid that uh, uh, had a very difficult environment around with uh, parents uh, drinking, etc., not really paying attention, being negligent or ignoring the burn, that child continues to experience that sense of, um, we should say, we should call it lack of safety or uncertainty as to what is coming next. Mm-hmm. Um, so the trauma perpetuates in, in the child without that uh, nurturing, supportive environment. 
And, and how does it manifest itself in people, for, first from a psychological perspective and then from a physical uh, perspective? Can people experience physical symptoms from emotional or psychological trauma? Absolutely. So um, typically in psychiatry or psychology, we use four big categories for trauma. Um, and uh, one of them would be flashbacks and re-experiencing the traumatic event. Um, the second one would be avoiding anything associated with that uh, traumatic event. Um, people start to feel very negative about themselves in terms of their mood and their thinking. And finally, um, you have uh, hypervigilance and being on edge, um, you know, kind of being hyper aroused about any small um, stimuli coming from the environment. So those are the big four categories for psychological trauma. If you translate them into, um, you know, everyday kind of experiences, things like anger and irritability, um, social withdrawal, shame, guilt, um, a lot of uh, feelings of uh, hopelessness, um, feeling uh, depressed or sad or anxious, uh, dissociation. So that's a common one in some types of trauma, um, being disconnected, basically, and of course, you know, if it's an acute trauma, oftentimes people feel that initial shock or, or a disbelief that this is happening to me. And so can betrayal uh, be one of those traumatic experiences if you're in a loving, committed relationship or so you think, and then you find out that somebody has betrayed you, um, uh, you know, or much like even a, a parent has betrayed your trust or, or your security, um, can that be considered trauma as well? Absolutely, absolutely. It is, it is again, a sense of uh, um, mistrust because the trust, trust in the world around us is gone. The, uh, the trust in self, the trust in people around and the world overall, um, whenever that is violated and whenever we cannot deal with that violation, um, trauma can occur. It's, and it, it can manifest in physical symptoms as well. Um, the difficulty with sleep, for example, is a big one. Sometimes people have um, panic reactions out of the blue. You've heard of that veteran who uh, is grocery shopping and hears a loud bang and starts to duck, um, uh-huh. right? So uh, aches and pain, body sensations uh, that are um, kind of abnormal, such as uh, feeling numb, uh, those are oftentimes also part of that physical manifestation. And then can people, I know we've talked about this before, but can people be become controlling as a result of having experienced trauma in in their life? Uh, partially uh, true, but I wouldn't call them controlling because they're not really intentionally trying to do this. Um, it is a subconsciously driven process. They're, they're trying to feel safe. And by trying to feel safe, uh, they try to control their environment uh, and the people around them. Right. Um, and... So they, if if somebody has been betrayed, for example, can they um, sort of decide to, you know, take the bull by the horns themselves and deal with it themselves? And, um, you know, and, and could this be related to a, a childhood event as well? And do are they aware of it? But I think you may have already answered that. Is it subconscious or um, is it, you know, at our, at our conscious level? Uh, it, it is subconscious. It, you know, we all have uh, another person living within us called the child within. <laughs> oh. so, uh, so that child within 
would start triggering some of these uh, reactions uh, to the current situation, even though uh, the root cause of it may be uh, lying in childhood. And so do people think, do they realize, okay, I have anxiety and depression and I can't sleep and I'm unhappy and uh, these things trigger me. Um, do they realize that it's related to their childhood or is that something that um, they, they don't realize? I mean, I've certainly heard people say, you know, it's my childhood, um, you know, and, and maybe actually embellish that or exaggerate that too, um, if they're more manipulative than not. Um, but is this something people are, are aware of and they know that this is their, this is why they behave in the way they do? Uh, sometimes they do. Um, and, uh, that's a great thing if they do, because at least they're aware of it and they can seek help. But oftentimes, uh, they don't even see the connection. Um, the conscious mind and subconscious mind has a bridge called insight. And that insight about why this is happening to me or why am I experiencing this um, has to come through um, you know, creating awareness. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes you know, a, a um, professional can help create that awareness when it's not there. And sometimes the person, uh, just through circumstances, uh, uh, recognizes that uh, there is a problem from childhood. Right. Um, and, and sometimes people, I've heard also people say, you know, this is what my childhood was like, so this is why I behave in this manner, and this is the way I'm going to just be for the rest of my life. You know, if this, this is fine. They kind of justify their behavior, which can also be dysfunctional, if you will, um, or, uh, you know, unhealthy, um, and, and cause them anxiety and stress or that, that persistent anxiety and stress. So uh, I did want to tell you first about all of these um, people who present to my office after they've had a bad dating experience. I'm not kidding, a bad dating experience. But it's, it's not even about the sex because more often than not, there's no sex, okay? And, and so it's women who are saying, you know, the guy doesn't want to have sex with me, but, you know, he'll be intimate. He'll, you know, he tells me I'm beautiful. He makes me this gorgeous dinner, whatever. But so it's not really about the sex that they're, and they'll say, well, the sex will come. I'm like, well, what is wrong with like a 40-year-old guy who doesn't want to have sex with somebody who's trying, anyhow, that's not the issue. The issue is, is that the guys are, you know, and it can be women, but it's mostly women who present and they say, met this guy, but he's got depression, he's got anxiety, and he says it's because of his family of origin. Um, and so they are, you know, having issues with work and they're, you know, basically moving on in life. But they blame the family. And, and oftentimes I think, I'd really like to talk to the family <laughs> and see what they think of this, you know, failure to launch kid of theirs that's, you know, 48-year-old kid perhaps um, that, you know, is still causing them trouble and wreaking havoc on their lives and, and keeping them up at night. Um, but so how, uh, how much does trauma as a child um, impact a relationship? Uh, it, it significantly impacts the relationship because uh, as a child, oftentimes when we have experienced trauma, uh, it, it can affect attachment uh, to uh, people around us. And that attachment, uh, when we fast forward to adulthood, if uh, the attachment issues have not been addressed, can uh, spill over into the relationship and uh, cause uh, you know this stuff that you were describing. Uh, you know, one thing that I often see is that uh, people who have had attachment trauma take on the role of a victim. 
um, in life as well. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, you, you might you might have heard of the Stockholm uh, syndrome. Of course, that's the most uh, exaggerated and and extreme of it. But uh, even in smaller amounts, um, that is the case where uh, one person in a relationship uh, wants the other person to fix the attachment trauma. Uh, subconsciously, of course, uh, but oftentimes quite uh, quite uh, irritating to the other partner. Exactly, and it's um, you're absolutely correct, spot on. They do play the victim, and I and and you know quite often there's a lot of communication on text, and so the lately I've had about three or four women present to my office, and they're showing me these text messages that they're getting, and and you can see that this person has just you know turned the tide basically all by themselves and they have become the victim and you know they're making you know threatening comments that you know that they may harm themselves or that they're so devastated and you know you know for example um putting themselves on you know pretending that they're just with one person and then that person finding them on several different dating apps and then somehow they're blaming the 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 woman that they've been dating for um, being on the other ask <laughs> kind of a thing, you know, it's just completely flipped and completely manipulated. And, um, you know, they they excel at doing that. Um, but how does one heal from trauma because from trauma, because obviously this impacts, as you mentioned, the attachment, uh, issues, and that seems to be what's happening here. How, and, and how important is recognition of trauma in healing? Uh, it is absolutely the first step. Uh, the person needs to uh, identify that. And sometimes, you know, it's very easy to identify it because if you've been in a car accident or, you know, victim of war or sexual abuse, um, it, it's easy to see that there is trauma. Whereas in other situations, it may not be so obvious. Um, it might be just, you know, trauma from a controlling parent. So recognition uh, is the key as the first one. And, of course, the next step would be to Seek uh, emotional support, um, and emotional support would be from a professional rather than from somebody you're in a relationship with. Just because mm-hmm. um, it won't go very far. Um, uh, obviously, the next step would be to go through some of the therapies that are out there, um, and these are, there, there are some evidence-based therapies, whether it's PTSD, whether it's uh, simple trauma. Uh, there are many uh, out there uh, cognitive. Uh, uh, processing therapy is one. Uh, there is EMDR. Um, I'm just naming them uh, uh, right so because I think we are out of time. Uh, medications oftentimes can be helpful for initial symptoms of anxiety and depression. Uh, some medications can help with uh, problems uh, in terms of nightmares during sleep. Uh, and uh, also uh, making sure you get the trauma counselor on board. You You have to get someone... Uh, giving you that professional support uh, and I'm going through specific trauma therapy. Um, one of the things that I uh, find out about most people who come to our uh, center is that um, the trauma is not just uh, limited to themselves, but also oftentimes their whole environment. Um, you know, it, we, we all, all know about residential schools, of course, but uh, there is uh, a lot of substance abuse as well. Uh, in a lot of trauma settings uh, that mm-hmm. uh, need to be addressed initially uh, if we are to succeed with, uh, with the trauma therapy. Absolutely. It's great information, and I'd love to have you come back. I love having my own personal psychiatrist on the show. I used to just play one on the radio, but now I have one. <laughs> one day we'll get into my issues, okay? Uh, <laughs> that's going to take a 10-hour show. 
planetary trauma. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you coming on, Dr. Karaj Adelotti. Elumind.com is the website. Head on over there if you've got any issues at all. And we all have issues. My guest is an artist. He is the author of Manifesting 1, 2, 3, and you don't need three. He sets people on fire in both a spiritual and physical, creative way. And he joins me on the line. His name is Ken Elliott. Good evening, Ken. Well, hello. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, thanks for joining me. You, you look like you're pretty famous. I've only seen you online, but your artwork is amazing. And, and you're an author as well of this book. <laughs> That, uh, you know, I think everybody can relate to this, starting with me. If you long for more, you will soon learn how to create the desires of a lifetime while overcoming the worries and blocks that impede your happiness. Who can't relate to that? <laughs> so I'd love to hear first. Who wrote that? Uh, exactly. Um, I'd love to hear first about your book, because I haven't had the opportunity to read it, but I would like to, actually. Okay. Well, in a nutshell, it's manifesting one, two, three and you don't need number three. I was very fortunate in that I have a very dear friend who is easily one of the most gifted people on the planet. Gifted enough that, yes, yeah, she's psychic, and she can see uh, continually, doesn't have to go on a stage, she sees the other side all the time. She goes out of body virtually every evening, comes back with full memory, so she can be in your dreams. She has moved objects, uh, sent me things from 2,000 miles away. I woke up, and there's one of her bookmarks in my book. Um, I wish this was TV uh, right now, but go on. Uh, her name is Judy Goodman. Uh, you can find her at judygoodman.com. And these things I'm talking about here, and I'll make this brief, are not on the website. But um, um, amazing thing. She can be in your dreams. She's been in many of my friends' dreams, and... Um, we have had adventures on the other side together, the other side meaning in the spirit world, not in the physical world. And um, very briefly, um, a stranger called me after I had um, been in contact with Judy and said, do you understand uh, what this person can do? And I said, well, she's psychic. She said, oh, no, 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 much more than that. And I just told you some of those things. But she said something very unusual to me. She said, if you send her something in thought, she will get it. And I went, what are you talking about? And she said, well, um, the Judy had a birthday a year before, and she sent a bouquet of flowers and called Judy up. And Judy was in the Caribbean at a hotel. Uh, this woman didn't need to know the hotel or room number. And Judy got the bouquet of flowers and described it to her, and it was somewhat embellished. And so I began sending Judy things in thought. I would just think of a thing, and I'd send it to her, and I'd pick up the phone and say, did you get what I sent? And don't bother sending things to Judy because she has a number of firewalls up. They're not going to get through. But she allowed me to do this experiment, and I was so dumb. I did this for a couple of years, a year and a half or so. I did this over and over and over. And we had a 100% success rate, but I didn't realize that I had one of the keys to the kingdom. So here's the payoff. Your thoughts actually create form. And I don't know why I've become the Johnny Appleseed of this, I wish I had a, a Harvard degree and a nice white lab coat so I could connect you with some authority. But um, your thoughts create form as you think it. So if you repeat a thought and you put one of the two great energies in the universe behind it, either love or fear, that thought, which is designed to create whatever you think, particularly if you repeat it, if you add love or fear to it, it is a, um, 
it's an aggregator, it will make it more, it will create it more efficiently, quicker. It's a powerful thing. So it's better to put love behind it than fear. Is that correct? Uh, Well, the thoughts don't care. Thoughts are like gravity. If you hold out a cup and let it go, gravity will pull it to the floor. Gravity doesn't judge if it's a good thing or a bad thing. And your thoughts don't judge either. So whatever juice you put behind that thought, love or fear, that will amplify it and it will create it. So if you're highly concerned, worried, scared to death about paying your bills, and you think about that over and over and over and over and over, and load it up with fear, it will create that lack. If you are thinking positively about something, particularly if you envision these things, and you repeat that over and over, and you add gratitude to that, if you add love to that, then it will create it. Now, William Buhlman, B-U-H-L-M-A-N, another very close friend of mine, is the foremost authority on out-of-body travel in the West. He sold, I don't know, half a million books on this topic. And um, one day we had a private conversation, because we're pals, I did a website for years, and we had access to 10,000 letters from people all over the world that were talking about these out-of-body experiences. That is, again, astral travel, or you're out of your body, you're in the spirit world. And uh, William told me one time, he said, you know, sometimes I go to the other side and I just see these things on my wish list. Guys don't make lists, but William makes lists. I would see these things on my wish list on the other side, and they're in various stages of formation. Now, what are you talking about? Now, I've been doing this sidebar thing with Judy, sending her things in thought. Now, William's come up with this thing. He would see his things. He said, they're just lined up in various stages of formation. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, yeah, if I'm thinking about a new van, and I've been on it for just a few weeks, it'll look like a puff of smoke over there. Uh, uh-huh, okay. And he said, now, if I've been on this van, I have this on my wish list, and I think about it every day, touch that wish list or visualize it. If I've been doing this for months or so, that van is has moved from a puff of smoke to something that looks pretty solid over there. And if it gets to be completely 3D and full color, it's coming over into the physical world. He may not have the money for it. It might be a gift. And by the way, I've seen a lot of people get cars and vans. That's the easiest thing in the world to manifest. Um, girlfriends, boyfriends, that's a little more difficult. <laughs> Especially in a pandemic. Uh, well, yeah, you know a lot about that. There's a whole other program or a year's worth of programs. But uh, so William told me this thing. Now, I just gave you the keys to the kingdom. I truly did. It's, it's like the people that are trying to find the quark or the bosun, and they spend these millions of dollars on these fundamental particles. I just told you how thought works, and that thought is a building block to all that there is. Now, I was too dumb, again, to figure that out, but I I did call Judy, since she goes out of body every night, and I said, now, William just told me this thing about these thoughts taking form. Is that true? She said, yeah. I said, well, why didn't you tell me? She said, you would never ask me. So I went on with this thing for another four or five months, six months, and I finally wrote a book about it because nobody else was doing it. No one else had this experience. There were two other people that I could bounce this off of, and I could send them things, and they would get them. I I really do know some highly, highly gifted people. And that's what it took for me to write the book. And it's quite simple. And uh, number one, your thoughts create things. Number two, fear, how to deal with fear. And number three, you don't need number three. 
you're you're a highly uh, powerful spiritual person, and this this existence has been set up to where when you think of something, there is something in the field around you that will create form. So somebody out there that's listening tonight might think, you know, I'm down and out. I've lost my job. My wife has lost their job. The kids are being homeschooled. I'm too afraid to send them back to school. We're not sure if they're going back to school for sure or not. Uh, Nothing seems to be going right. Looking at losing their house. They've had to sell their car. Uh, they don't mm-hmm. know where their next meal is, is coming from. They've gone to the food mm-hmm. banks. They've talked to mm-hmm. family and friends, and they're embarrassed, mm-hmm. not sleeping, uh, anxious. What do you say to them? The number one thing I would say to them that's not in the book, mm-hmm. and that's my go-to position, and this is not the Ken Elliott, Holy Roller Jesus, uh, uh, you know, um, revival tent show, but you put it in God's hands. Right now. Right now. You're already there anyway, if you believe it or not. Um, or, or the creator or the whatever you think the architect of the universe is. Put it in God's hands right now. Number two is that you have the ability to create the future. Now, I just added something on to a fundamental thing that I just offered. You can create the future. And in your future, none of those problems you just talked about exist. None of those problems exist, and you are healthy, and you are whole, and you are fulfilled, and you are safe. And you put that in your future and add to that that you are so grateful, and you can visualize that scene. And you can be sitting, imagine you're in your chair in your future, in a chair in your future, and you are comfortable and happy and fulfilled and whole and safe, and and you... Uh, visualize it's at the end of the day, and there you are, and you 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 know this, you observe this with your eyes closed, and you just say you're grateful. You're so very grateful, and you keep repeating that. Keep repeating that. Because there still are things to be grateful for, of course, the air we there breathe. There always are. Absolutely. Is, uh, yeah. The air we I, breathe. I remember something that Judy said I thought was pretty profound. She said, before your feet hit the ground in the morning, mm-hmm. say seven grateful things. Exactly, And I do that religiously because it clears the way energetically, and here we go on this woo-woo stuff, but it clears the way energetically for these things to happen. You can also be grateful for things that occurred in your past, that trip you had made overseas, mm-hmm. that gift, that relationship, that wonderful Christmas. Um, and you can be grateful for those things in the past, and you can create those things in your present. But that gratitude is terribly, terribly powerful. And if you are afraid and scared, that's the number two manifesting one, two, three. I was given this information. It just came in like a paragraph. And um, I was pretty scared myself. I just bought a new house and ran up the American Express bill. And I thought when I got that bill and I got that house, and I went, oh, my God, I just signed up for 30 years of this. How could I have been so dumb? Oh, my God, I'm scared to death. Um, I've got 30 years of this coming at me 12 times a year. How am I going to do this? And I was terrified. My heart was just popping out of my chest. And uh, I was trying to figure out how to kill this fear. You just can't tell people to stop worrying about it. Don't be afraid. Uh, you know, I have another six-pack. Um, so what I was given was to take action on your fear. Uh, this just came in. And I went, what, what is that? And, and what it was really, if, 
if you're having difficulty paying your financial things, you're having difficulty medically, this and that, you do everything you can. You call, we'll make it financial, you call uh, a mentor. What do I need to do in this field? Is there another field for me? Right. You you call your boss. Um, uh, gee, I, you know, I'm not one to ask for raises, but how can I be of more value to your company? And that's a great well, way. And Ken, it's great work that you do. I'm, I'm sorry, we're going to have to go to um, our a break right now, but I would love to have you back to dig more into uh, the power of the mind, basically, and, and thoughts and gratitude. I really appreciate your work. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so very much. It's an honor to be here. Oh. Uh, and, and thank you for all you do for the many. That's with a capital M. Oh, thank you so much. That's Ken Elliott. And Ken, your website is? KenElliott.com for the artwork. And www.manifesting123.com for the book on manifesting. Well, thanks for all your work. Appreciate you being here. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. You can subscribe, rate, or review on your favorite podcast app. And if you've got a question about your health, the nurse is always in. So email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, and I just might answer your question anonymously, of course, on next week's show. For now, have a happy and healthy week. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, TuneIn, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.